is Justin, and I am uh, excited to be with you today. I'm uh, honored and, and privileged to be able to fill in for Aaron as he is spending some time with family this weekend. And uh, honestly, like, there's just nowhere else I'd rather be uh, than here on screen with you in some ways. Uh, hopefully, uh, wherever you're at, uh, you are finding community, you are finding uh, yourself uh, filled, and you are finding yourself drawn to uh, who Jesus is, and that uh, Jesus is just impacting your life in incredible ways today. Uh, that is uh, my hope and prayer for you. As we uh, pick up in our Acts series, uh, we are in Acts chapter 21. Uh, we'll be taking a look at verses 15 through 26 today. Uh, so uh, as we uh, get going here, if you want to turn in your Bible and follow along uh, there, that would be awesome. Uh, outside of, of that, uh, again, our, our hope is that you are finding community, you are finding uh, your, uh, your, your place in life, and you are plugged into an active, growing church body somewhere, that you are being fed, that you're being strengthened, encouraged by other believers in your community, depending on where you are uh, watching this recording or listening to this audio, depending on, again, where you're at. Uh, I am uh, honored again uh, to have been invited back. Uh, Aaron is uh, uh, somebody who's had a, a huge impact on, on my life as a believer, uh, as a follower of Jesus, and as uh, my uh, adult life, as, uh, as I uh, now have uh, two kids, and I think last time you heard from me, uh, just had just had one with one on the way, uh, so two kids now. Uh, life is life is continually changing as I'm finding in uh, my household, and uh, it's becoming more and more and more important to refocus and pay attention to uh, what it is that we're living for. And so I'm excited to be taking a look at uh, Acts 21 with you today, uh, and 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 seeing uh, Paul as he uh, is journeying towards Jerusalem, as he gets to Jerusalem, and as uh, we look at this uh, this latter half of uh, the early church's uh, journey, uh, growth and explosion, and, and focusing in on Paul's missionary journey here, uh, going from uh, the, the, the far reaches of where he's been and coming back to Jerusalem, uh, we're, we're about to pick up some serious steam here. Uh, as, as the chapters unfold and as the, uh, the story uh, un unravels, uh, we're going to see uh, Paul uh, go from uh, where, where he's at now uh, to a couple of uh, pretty interesting places and situations coming up in the future chapters here. And, uh, and right here, we're, we're, kind of, we're kind of at the run-up here. We're at the, uh, we're at the pace where uh, we're now building some momentum on uh, this journey. And we can take a look at that today, and I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to be able to share uh, from the Word with you. Last week, Aaron asked, uh, asked a question, uh, and he, he posed it a couple of different ways. Uh, and he said, you know, if, if you knew the trouble you were going through or going to go through, if you knew uh, what you would face, if you knew the suffering, if you knew the, the, the end result of, of whatever you're about to face, would you, would you still go through it? Would you still make the choices to go ahead and, and follow in those steps? If uh, you had been prophesied to, if somebody came and told you, hey, by the way, you're going this direction, you're going to Jerusalem, for instance, uh, you're going to be bound. You're, you're going to be locked up. You're going to be persecuted. Would you still go? That's uh, where we came from uh, last week and, uh, and, and some of the, the, the thoughts and the things that Paul is wrestling with as he's preparing to head up to Jerusalem. He's got, he's got those thoughts going on. But Paul has set his face toward Jerusalem. He, he's going and, and no one's going to convince him otherwise. 
no friends, no prophet, no prophetess, uh, no, nobody is going to convince him otherwise because he knows uh, the path that has been set before him and he is going to go to Jerusalem regardless. Uh, I love that Aaron pointed out that there are a lot of similarities in this, uh, this journey to Jerusalem and, and Paul's journey as, as to Jesus' very own journey. Now, Jesus and Paul are, are very, very different people. It is because of Jesus and what he did uh, that Paul is now leading the life that he is. As we pick up in uh, chapter 21, verse 15, uh, we gather with Paul and his entourage. There is a, a group of people following him. And, and we titled this uh, sermon, A Likely Entourage, and we're going to discover why in a minute here. Uh, but first, uh, I'd like to take a moment and, and pray. Uh, as we uh, prepare to dive into uh, God's Word this morning, this afternoon, this evening, wherever you are at, joining in with us, and uh, as we see what's, uh, what Paul is about to, about to face. So Father, would you uh, just uh, come now? Uh, I, I ask that uh, you would just move in, uh, in, in me, uh, in the words that uh, I share, may they come from you uh, today, uh, wherever uh, the, the person currently listening to or watching this sermon is. Uh, God, I pray that you would uh, move in their heart, that you would prepare uh, their hearts for uh, your word, uh, and God, that uh, you would draw them closer to you. Uh, and, and Lord, uh, just take this time as a time of worship, as a time of praise, as uh, we together uh, lift up your name, as we uh, together uh, strengthen and encourage one another and challenge one another on this uh, journey to uh, being a disciple-making disciple uh, for uh, your kingdom come. In your name we pray. Amen. So before we dive in here, I, I do want to take a, a small journey back uh, in Paul's life. Uh, we're actually going to go all the way back on uh, the road to Damascus. If you remember, uh, Paul was actually formerly named Saul and went by Saul, and he was a persecutor of Christians. In fact, uh, he uh, took great pride and was celebrated for uh, killing people who followed the way. Christians. This is, this is Saul. This is Saul's uh, journey. He is trying to protect the, the law and what he believes to be right and true and, uh, and, and doing so in some rather uh, brutal ways at times and uh, leading mobs, in fact. And uh, if you recall, there's the, the moment where Stephen is stoned and Paul, Saul, is, is standing there uh, approving of, of what is happening. And so now we, we see that Saul, that, that man, and we see him, and we go, oh man, that, like, there's obviously a lot of, of change that happens here because of, of Jesus, uh, go figure. But uh, Saul, he, he, was, he had demonstrated some characteristics that are important and, and worthy of taking note. He, he is both uh, devout, convicted, and he's focused. He's focused on the mission. He's focused on what he believes to be true, and he is living that out. Uh, while we may disagree with the, the, the methods at which he is living that out, uh, he is, in fact, living that out. And he is that devote, convicted, and focused man who meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. Uh, you, you're familiar with, with the journey. Uh, he is a, a approached by a bright light and a sound, and uh, he's blinded for three days. And he finds himself uh, on, on this, uh, th this journey to really getting to know who Jesus is and, and what he came to do what he did, and, and, and why that's important. And so uh, we see Saul later uh, become Paul uh, with, a, with a bit of a, a name change there and step forward into a, a new life. But 
Paul is still very much so devout, convicted, and focused. Now he's, he's focused on sharing the, the gospel and spreading uh, this good news and, and building up the, the church and, and building up uh, communities of believers and unifying believers, which is uh, fascinating because of his background as, as, a, as a, a Jew, right? Uh, he is so, so heavily focused on things of the law and, and, and this trying to make, uh, make things perfect through the, the law and this life before and then Jesus changes who he is and completely gives him a new mission, but he's still devout, convicted, and focused. And so uh, perhaps the question for us should be, what is, what is it that you're devout, convicted, and, and focused on? As we follow along with Paul on his journey up to Jerusalem, sit with those questions. Let those questions just kind of fester in, in your mind a bit. So what is it that uh, your life shows that you are devout, that you are convicted, and that you are focused on? What is it that you are living for. In verse 15, we pick up, uh, and uh, we're, we're coming up uh, right after, um, right after Paul has just uh, shared that uh, the the uh, his companions, uh, those that he is staying with, uh, at, at this point in time, they're, they're they're kind of begging him not to go to Jerusalem, uh, and and they're breaking his heart. As you back up a couple of verses, you'll you'll see Paul cry out to uh, to to. All, all of the believers that he, he's with, you know, why are you breaking my heart? Why are you saying this? I, I must go to Jerusalem. I'm going. And so uh, in verse 15, we pick up here. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason, or Nason, or however you want to say that, of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. So we're going to pause there for a moment. Uh, there, there's something really surreal about reading and studying Acts. As I mentioned before, this uh, latter half of the book is detailing the growth of the early church. Uh, we've seen uh, the, the, the church explode a, a couple of times with thousands of believers being added. Uh, we've seen the day of Pentecost. Uh, we've gotten to uh, see and experience uh, Paul, Saul's transformation uh, because of who Jesus is and because of the, the, the truth uh, and becoming Paul and shifting his entire, uh, his, his entire life, right? His entire life mission. Uh, we've seen a, a lot of things here, and in Paul, we we see, uh, we we see this desire to unify believers, to unify the church. He's coming from one side. He may identify well with uh, Jewish believers, those who uh, formerly are, are are raised in tradition of practicing uh, the law, whether moral or ceremonial, and so forth. And, uh, and we see Paul uh, coming from, you know, this side of things, but uh, being a missionary to the Gentiles and his, uh, much of his focus and much of what we get to see here is that Paul is a missionary to the Gentiles. Uh, those new believers who don't come from that background, who don't come from the, the Jewish background, who don't know and who don't practice, their culture is not immersed in all of these laws and these practices uh, that uh, for many a Jewish believer they have been brought up in. And some of those things would be difficult to just set aside and just uh, step apart from. And so uh, we, see, we see Paul with this, uh, with this entourage. Uh, these, these believers are going with him to Jerusalem. They're going with him. And uh, they're going with him knowing, uh, knowing uh, in, in, in certainty that there's going to be suffering here. There's going to be some struggle. Uh, there's uh, a lot of unknown. There's also some known because of the former prophecies that were shared. 
they know that Paul is going to be bound. They know that Paul is going to be taken. Uh, they already know these things, and yet uh, they, they, they see where Paul is going, and they say, well, we're going too. Well, well why is that, and, and who is this entourage, and why are they a likely entourage? Uh, let's take a look in uh, Acts 20, verse 4. Let's just turn back a chapter here. You're going to see who this, this entourage is. Uh, so picking up uh, in verse 4, chapter 20, Sopater the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus, and Secundus, and Gaius, and Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus, and Tychicus, and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. So uh, here are some of uh, the, 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 uh, the companions. This is some of the likely entourage. And there's a couple of reasons of why they are likely, and, and the first of which is that uh, part of Paul's missionary journey is his, he's uh, building and establishing these churches in Thessalonica and in uh, extending cities and in Asia and so on and so forth. Uh, he is taking up offering, he's taking up gifts to bring back to the uh, the persecuted and and suffering church in Jerusalem and, and, the, and the early church and showing uh, as, as, this, uh, as this message is preached and shared uh, with the nations and and with the ongoing uh, reach that's, uh, that, that Jesus has through us, through the gospel, through what he is doing, what he did. He's bringing back these, these gifts and, and, and bringing unity with him. Uh, that's the goal here is to bring uh, a, a unifying message to the church. Uh, we're far stronger together than we are divided. And Paul knows that. And so part of Paul's mission here is to uh, demonstrate and to bring unity. But how is it that this uh, likely entourage comes together? Well, sure, there's a group of people that need to protect this gift. Paul would be traveling with, uh, with, with some riches. He would be traveling and, and exposed in, in many ways. So there's uh, power in numbers. But what is it that brought uh, these, uh, these travelers together? What is it that made this a likely entourage? Jesus. It is the gospel itself that brought the, these travelers together. This likely entourage comes together surrounded and centered on one mission, is to build this kingdom, is to build this church, is to uh, share uh, the truth, is to share the gospel with those that don't know, those that have not heard. And so it is because of Jesus, it is because of the truth that this likely entourage has come together. This likely entourage has bound it, has, has come together, uh, and, and and is in a uh, roller coaster journey at this point. Paul is uh, hopping on this roller coaster uh, along with his likely entourage, and it's going to continue to pick up speed as we as we continue to progress here, headed into uh, Jerusalem, where uh, we read and we just read that uh, they stayed with a gentleman named Nathan. Uh, he would likely be a, a Jewish believer and carry with him a particular status in the, the community. Uh, and yet he welcomes this entourage. He welcomes these travelers into his home. He welcomes these people who he knows he's now going to be identified and associated with. And in some regard, that may mean that uh, his life changes. His uh, comforts, his uh, life, his uh, way of, uh, of, of living and the, the look uh, that uh, others have on him. Uh, would change. His neighbors may not talk to him anymore. He may be shunned. Uh, his neighbors may not want to have anything to do with him anymore. Uh, he may be set aside as somebody who, uh, who is no longer part of uh, this group, but is rather part of 
this group, to be treated differently, to be pushed away. Uh, he's essentially welcoming unclean into his home uh, before he could ever be accepted again by uh, many of, of the, his neighbors and people that he is currently doing life with. He would have to go through some ceremonial rites of purification. He would have to do these steps. Uh, yet he welcomes this, uh, this traveling group of people into his home. Well, what about, what about you? Would you be willing to welcome this group of people into uh, your home? Would you be willing to welcome this group of people into your home and offer them housing and shelter, despite what it may mean for you and your community today? Would you open up your doors? Would you be that cold cup of water to refresh and to serve uh, this, this traveling group? I'm reminded of, uh, of, of a story that uh, Aaron shared about Deborah. Deborah Yakuba, a 21-year-old Christian student attacked by the Muslim mob for mentioning Jesus, for speaking of her faith. She was stoned and burned under tires May 12, 2022. Let that sink in a little bit. There's, there's real persecution here, and there's a, a real uh, invitation by Nason to invite persecution into his life. There are uh, many, many Jewish believers and uh, those uh, who are just so focused and dwelling in, uh, in, in tradition and rooted in, in culture that uh, Paul looks like an adversary to their culture, to their truth, and to what they've adopted as this truth. And so uh, there is already an animosity here. There's already, uh, there's already uh, going to be suffering and strife here as Paul steps into this, as he comes back into Jerusalem, uh, especially with this uh, likely entourage that's been brought together by Jesus, has been brought together by the gospel message. And there are many people who have uh, spoken against Paul and against what he has said and have, have, have labeled him and put him in this, this group of people that is, is, is shunning and pushing away from the law. And the interesting thing here is uh, that, doesn't has, that Paul shows no hesitation in going to Jerusalem. His uh, likely entourage is going right along with him. And we don't see here that uh, you know Nason was uh, uh, tentative about welcoming them in. Uh, they they actually in, in some way had had already had already planned this. Uh, we don't have this uh, th this moment of okay, Paul's in Jerusalem now and he's looking around for somewhere to stay. Oh, there looks like a house. No, they they went straight there, and so there was some communication ahead of time. Uh, there's some communication there, and there's some uh, there there's some aspect of uh, this journey that is uh, is planned. And Paul and his entourage, they stay here. You see, we're, we're called to live lives dependent upon God, trusting in his plan and his will for our lives. And this all sounds great until it means discomfort. Discomfort comes in a variety of ways. Uh, Deborah, Yakuba, probably not very comfortable uh, in, uh, in what she faced uh, leading up to uh, her, her death. Is she in a far better place now? Yes, absolutely. Are we still talking about her today? Yes, absolutely. Is her legacy living on? Yeah, absolutely. And what is that legacy saying? It is, a, it is about a woman who was willing to speak up for her faith, to speak up for Jesus, despite the consequences, despite the discomfort. You and I today uh, don't face uh, necessarily those discomforts, depending uh, where you are, uh, where you're at as you are uh, watching uh, this, uh, this message. 
Uh, it doesn't mean that those times aren't coming for you or myself. Uh, but here to today, uh, what is it that uh, what is it that is dis discomforting or uncomfortable for for us? What is it that uh, makes us question our uh, decisions and our choices to follow Jesus? Is it uh, what your neighbors think about you, family members maybe? Is it a concern that uh, you'll be seen as, as somebody who doesn't, doesn't know enough to actually speak to what you believe in, so you just don't want to speak at all? Or, or are you just concerned about people not wanting to, to talk to you anymore? What is it that, what is, it that is uh, uh, uncomfortable to you about the gospel, about Jesus, about identifying uh, with who Jesus is and, and what he did? Jesus died. He died a, a brutal death on the cross. He uh, was beaten and, and bludgeoned, and, and, and he, he sacrificed his life for, for you and myself uh, so, so that there was a, a payment for our sins, past, present, and future, all of our sins, the sins of the entire world, uh, paid for in one selfless act to then, to, to then be hung and to die there on the cross to utter the words, it is, it is finished. To not more than three days later to rise from the grave, conquering death, to pave this way, to pay this price for you and myself. And yet we find discomfort in sharing the, the truth with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with those of what we are in community with. We find discomfort in the truth. We find discomfort in this message, this message that has unified this likely entourage. Uh, this message that is tying them together. So we find ourselves in Jerusalem now with Paul and his likely entourage. And uh, picking up here in verse 17, uh, I'm going to go ahead and read uh, through 26. We're going to uh, see uh, we're going to see a, a demonstration towards unity here. We're going to see Paul take some action towards uh, trying to unify believers and uh, be an example to the church of what it looks like to seek unity and to root that unity in truth. Verse 17, when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. So this is the early church. This is the uh, body of believers in Jerusalem. These are the brothers. These are the Christians in Jerusalem. Uh, they're, they're going to, to meet with them. After greeting them, verse 19, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who believed. They are zealous for the law. So uh, they, they've taken in, so here we are, uh, about to uh, read verse 21 here. And uh, they've taken in the, this update. Paul has shared with them, you're not going to believe. Like, look at this likely entourage here with me. These are just a few of the, the many who have accepted and who believe in Jesus Christ and who he is and, uh, and, and who are uh, d just changing their, their lives and following him and, and these churches. And uh, here we are building up uh, these, these uh, pieces of the, the body of believers out at a distance. The Gentiles, they, they know, they understand. Like, look at all of the fruit from this, this ministry. 
And then uh, they're, they're, they're glorifying God because of this. And then uh, they, they emphasize to Paul, you see, uh, there are also many uh, thousands of, of, of the, the, the Jews who, uh, who have believed. And they're zealous for the law. And here we are in 21. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children and walk according to the customs. So verse 21, Paul has never said these things. Paul has never said, hey, uh, accept Jesus and forsake all of the things that uh, your culture has taught you about the law, about Moses, uh, leave it all behind. He's never said those things, but there are many people who have said that he has said those things. And there are many people who have uh, set him aside and alienated him and, and put him in uh, this camp of being anti-Jewish law, anti-ceremonial, anti-their anti culture, right? So here uh, in verse 22, we see a proposed solution here. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. In fact, they probably already have. Verse 23, do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses. So uh, that they may sh shave their heads. Thus uh, all will know that there is nothing in what they've been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. So here uh, we see Paul coming back uh, to Jerusalem and uh, paid, uh, going to partake in, not only partake in himself, uh, but also pay the expenses for these four other men uh, who were under a vow to partake in uh, ceremonial cleansing as, as well. Now, uh, this is significant because uh, Paul uh, not only paying the expenses of, but doing the, the, uh, the, what he needs to do to partake in uh, the law of this, this, this cleansing uh, is, uh, is, is significant because Paul is showing uh, that uh, while he has been with and among the Gentiles, uh, that he is uh, uh, coming back to and uh, they're present with uh, these Jewish believers and he is uh, acting in accordance with directly going against what those uh, have been saying about him regarding rebuking or uh, setting aside or speaking uh, against the law of Moses, the law that uh, this culture has been so ingrained and so intertwined in. So we uh, pick up here in, in 25 uh, with a uh, an, another aspect of this conversation, and you're going to this is going to sound uh, really familiar. It's going to sound like a, a letter that was sent uh, back in uh, back back uh, a few chapters ago in, in chapter 15, uh, 25. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been uh, sacrificed to idols and from from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. So here, uh, verse 25, uh, we see uh, the, the uh, elders of the church, the Jewish believers, those, that's, uh, um, those that are also seeking unity. There's an, an act here to, for Paul to demonstrate unity to the Jewish believers. And there's also an emphasis to the Gentile believers, out to uh, the, the churches and beyond, a reminder and an emphasis to the Gentiles that believed that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. So there's uh, these, these things that would have been uh, common in the culture of these, these areas where, where Paul was ministering to uh, these uh, new Gentile believers. There's some things that would have been rooted in their culture uh, that uh, would, would be, one, frowned upon by the Jewish believers, but that also uh, could be misleading and could be destructive in the founding of and developing of their faith in, in, in God and in the truth. 
and so there's there, there there's there's two emphases here. Uh, one is uh, Paul uh, supporting and loving the the Jewish believers here, and uh, the same is the, uh, the 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 early church reaching out to the church as it's growing and and, and warning of and uh, and, and abstain uh, giving direction to abstain from the things uh, a list of things right that would uh, that would detract from their uh, newfound faith in Jesus. Now, uh, verse 26, then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them, went into the temple, uh, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offerings presented for each one of them. Uh, so here he, he follows through. He follows through. He goes with uh, the, these men, and he, uh, he, he shares uh, in, in these, uh, the, the ceremonial law here of purification, uh, gives notices to when the, the dates based on the law. All right, here we are now uh, at this point in the state here. Uh, we will be purified according to the law, pays their expenses, and uh, and, and and away we go. And uh, you're gonna you're gonna pick up uh, in the next couple of weeks here and see uh, what what happens. Uh, spoiler alert: it's about to get a little bumpy. But if you're not careful here, you might think that uh, Paul is is promoting the old ceremonial law, uh, perhaps to fit in or, or not make waves. Uh, you you'd be mistaken. Paul, as we've we've talked about, he's. He already knows he's not going to fit in. His very testimony is already making waves. The truth about his testimony and also what people are saying about his testimony and what he's doing and what he's been speaking of. So Paul demonstrates something here that uh, he actually uh, talks about more in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, uh, verse 19. Uh, go ahead, if, if you'd like to, turn with there. I, I'm going to go ahead and read it for us. Uh, 19 to 23 reads, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became one as outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. So not outside of the, the law, but outside of the Jewish law, so the Gentiles is what he's speaking of. That I might win those outside of the law, that I might win the Gentiles. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all things I might save some. Verse 23, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Wow. So Paul, depending on your perspective of, of that, you might, might go, wow, Paul seems kind of wishy-washy all of a sudden. What happened to the devout, convicted, focused man we talked about a few minutes ago? Let's read that last half of verse 22 and 23 again that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. What Paul demonstrates to all believers, us included reading today, is not to allow things that do not impact the truth one way or another to cause division. Just because a Jewish believer wants to hold on to tr tradition does not make that Jewish believer wrong. Paul believed Jesus came as the fulfillment of the law, but did not want to get lost in those conversations, debates, and dialogue that would not prove fruitful in strengthening and encouraging the church. In the same way that Paul would not expect a Gentile believer to adopt Jewish tradition and law, Paul also did not expect someone raised in such tradition to simply give it all up, becoming a Christian. Paul's not wishy-washy. He's committed to the gospel and wants to see a unified church. Which begs the question, when you look at the church today, do you see unity? Perhaps in word, or hypothetically, if that church down the road also believes in and preaches the same gospel, then we're unified, right? 
cross-culturally, our churches tend to all look like a bunch of people who look similar, worship similarly, think similarly, and live similarly, coming together, maybe for an hour or two uh, on one day a week, uh, with, with people we assume commonality with these people because, uh, well, we, we look alike. Uh, we're probably uh, living similar lives. Uh, we live in a country together, in a state, in an area together. They're probably dealing with the same things, right? Uh, those to your right and to your left, or for those of you at home, uh, those that, that, that you know in your community, they're probably all dealing with the same things. So uh, because of that, we're actually drawn into a very stagnant and complacent uh, view of and life in the church. From uh, one to another, we look and sound the same. So because of that thing, we don't have to get involved with one another. We can uh, assume that uh, you're dealing with the same things that I am and in some way, shape, or form. And, you know, you, you've got your busyness and you've got your life and uh, you're on your way. And uh, that's fine because we came together and we worshiped together, right? We sang some songs and we sat under the word together and then we left and we went about our day. Comfort and complacency lead to stagnation, and stagnation means that no further progress is made, no further momentum. Uh, let us not be fooled by this. There's no pausing in your relationship with Jesus. There's no pausing in this relationship, and there's, uh, no, uh, there, there's no way to passively be involved in the church. If you are passively uh, consuming Sunday to Sunday or whatever day of the week you, you gather, if, if you are passive in your faith, uh, you are not growing in your faith. There is no momentum be made. You're stagnant. But stagnation is not a place to pause. You can't get to a place with your relationship with Jesus after all that he did for you on the cross, after all that he did for me. I cannot go to Jesus and say, hey, I'm good now. I've, I've lived uh, a pretty good life. Like I think I'm just going to press pause here. I, I don't want any more of you, but I don't want any less. I don't, I don't want to draw nearer to you. I'm, I'm good with this pace right here. If I get much closer, I might actually have to start sharing the gospel with somebody that, that doesn't know you. I might have to invite a neighbor into my home that is going to cause my other neighbors to think ill of me. I might have to step out in faith and I don't... God, that sounds kind of uncomfortable. I don't really want to do that. So uh, I've, I've made some good progress. I, I read my Bible pretty consistently. I listen to Christian music more often than not. And, uh, you know, I think I'm good. I think I'm good here. There is no good here. There is no pause. If you are not drawing nearer to Jesus, you are pushing away. There is no pause on this relationship. And I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know how long it's been since you fell at, at, at the foot of the cross on your knees. I don't know. I don't know where you are at today. I know that for me, there have been seasons in my life that I can look back on where that was me. I said, I'm, I'm good here. This, this is enough. This is enough. And those seasons, at the moment that that decision was made, uh, the reality is that in weeks prior and months prior, I was drifting away. If you've ever been on a treadmill before and you want to stop, what do you have to do? Well, you, you press stop or you step off the treadmill. If you try and stop while the treadmill's still going, what happens? Well, you, you go backwards. You go off the treadmill. This, this life, every day... That belt is moving. That treadmill is continuing to move. 
And uh, you are making more forward progress in your relationship with God than you expect. It's not like being on a treadmill when you're drawing nearer to him. He, he, this relationship is not some far-reaching relationship that you can never uh, draw nearer to. James 4.8 actually speaks to this. In James chapter 4, verse 8, uh, Draw nearer to me, and I will draw nearer to you. That is a, that's a promise. So what does it mean for uh, you and, and me today? Well, that means that we need to take stock of when it was that we said, Hey, Jesus, I'm good. I'm good. What you have done for me has been great. I know you've done it for other people, and hopefully they all figure it out. Hopefully they all figure it out. I know that you died on the cross for me. I know you're believing. I know you're for to carry a cross. I know you're barely alive when I pounded the nails into your wrists, your feet. I know you hung there suffering for me. I know you died for my sins. I know you conquered the grave and made a way where there was no way. I know you did all of this, but, but I'm good. As foolish as this sounds, it's often true, and it may be true for you today. It doesn't have to stay that way. If that is you today, it is uh, your chance right now to, to change course, to change direction, to, uh, to draw near to him. And I would encourage you to grab somebody in your life, community, in your life, and, and talk about that. You see, what, what Paul has demonstrated is an unwavering responsibility to the gospel, to truth. And here we see culture colliding. We see cultures colliding and causing friction in the church and rubbing against one another. And, and it's not causing a healthy attraction in, in any way, shape, or form. In fact, uh, it's causing destruction. It's causing division. And so we, we see Paul demonstrating this for us in, in a way to come together and to uh, be the church, to unify. Culture needs not be divisive. Christians just need to wake up and start living for Christ. We have a, a different church for whatever fits your need these days. Whatever makes you the most comfortable, from people that look like you to certain types of music to a certain style of preaching, churches that stand for most of the service to those that sit, some dance, some look like a trip to the morgue. There's all sorts of differences. Whatever kind of floats your boat, right? And yet, as we look at our community, uh, we should see, and we do see, especially here in the Pacific Northwest, uh, in, uh, in Issaquah, in the surrounding cities, we see a lot of diversity. We see a lot of difference. We see a lot of different backgrounds and different beliefs. We see, uh, we see a lot of variety. And our, our church should, should look the same. Why? Because our church is serving and reaching out to the community around us. Because we're unified under the gospel, under the truth, under God's word. There, are, uh, there have been a, a lot of pushes and plays towards uh, becoming diverse. And, and we, we, elevate these, we elevate our differences so much to so that they become just that more and more differences as opposed to elevating the truth and what unifies us together, the gospel, the truth. Jesus is what brings us together. This likely entourage was not brought together because Paul is uh, charismatic and was very attractive. He, he, we know that he spoke strongly, but, but he, he even confesses himself that uh, he, he's not uh, the, the end-all, be-all. He's not the guy. He's not the celebrity pastor that, uh, that, that, that garners this, this online audience and who can uh, uh, build up enough of a following to start saying really whatever he wants to say to attract more 
followers and are more clicks and likes and yada, yada, yada. Paul is not that guy. But he's got this likely entourage with him, what? Unified under the truth, unified under the gospel. Unity in Christ is important because unity in culture is binding and blinding. When personal comfort and feelings guide a congregation, you start to make concessions in the name of honoring culture and diversity and, and, and making this uh, message feel, oh, it's, it's a bit more comfortable for, for, for you now because uh, we want to attract you to us and, and get you in here. And the more and more you head down this road, the more and more you drift from the truth. If you start making concessions now in order to make something more comfortable for somebody now, something easier to accept, easier to swallow, then uh, what, you, what you find is that that path is a slippery one, and it's a slippery slope at that, and you continue to make those decisions. Paul's emphasis on unity here is not uh, to stop one culture from doing one thing or uh, emphasize uh, one culture over another or tradition but rather to point out the fact that our culture, the things that uh, we identify with, should be rooted in the truth, should be rooted in God's word, should be rooted in uh, what Christ has done for us. When we have disagreement, when we have contention, we should go to the word to flesh, flesh that out, to, 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 to figure out, uh, what it is that uh, is, is right and wrong. And there may be some things that uh, one culture does over another that have zero impact on following Jesus uh, that you may not want to partake in, such as Jewish ceremonial law, so to speak, as the example here in Acts 15, uh, but uh, something that uh, somebody else may want to partake in, but it, it doesn't detract from the truth. And here again is where uh, culture is it's important to honor, it's important to pay attention to culture, uh, but not to get wrapped up in it. Uh, there are uh, many uh, strategies, there are many ways that uh, churches uh, try and uh, look and appeal more to the masses. Uh, you, you, may, you may make a, a specific hire in a church to attract a certain type of people in the, na in the name of diversity, instead of just going out to the neighborhoods and preaching the gospel to inviting your neighbors in for a meal, to sharing a, a meal together, to sharing in uh, what God has done, to demonstrate, to live out your faith for your neighbors to see. And so we'll, we'll, try, and, we'll try and force it, we'll try and force this, whatever we're looking for, to, to fit in. When we, when we start to slice and dice the word of God to fit the buffet of society, then we get a bunch of people coming and looking for this and that and choosing and you get little pieces of the truth. And play that out. What happens when you just get little bits and pieces? It becomes watered down. It becomes non-existence in the message anymore after a period of time. There's a, a temptation. There's a temptation to uh, take uh, what is popular to take what is uh, attractive to society and try and figure out, okay, how do we fit the church into this? This this new culture, this new way of thinking, this new uh, perspective on life. How do we take God and squeeze him into this? As opposed to taking that and comparing it to the truth and to what God has done for us and to what God has called us to. When our culture of Christianity starts to look more like the world 
we've taken a wrong turn. It should be our culture through Christ that unifies, that brings us together, and that allows us to actually look at the world through a critical lens and love the world, but not be in it, in the world, but not part of it. For our brothers and sisters that don't yet know Jesus, for their sake, for the truth. And so what's the point? Well, the point here is that you and I have a, a mission. We have a purpose here. Instead of slicing and dicing the word of God to fit the buffet society, we should lead society to the table to, to dine with the God of the universe. There are a number of things that uh, the church, as we've been talking about, need to be wary of, need to be willing to converse with, to, to be willing to contend with. A number of things by society that uh, will, will be pushed upon the church, different beliefs, different ways of thinking, whatever it is. And pending your uh, geography, pending your location, pending the culture that you're immersed in, there's going to be a higher emphasis on uh, one thing over another. And if we have lost our semblance of culture within Christ, if we have lost uh, our ability to see what that likely entourage looks like, then we will start to make concessions for the world as opposed to loving and serving the world in truth. You and I will have disagreements that have nothing to do with who Jesus is or his character or the truth of the gospel, that have nothing to do with the word of God, but have something to do with the culture itself. And in some cases, those things absolutely have everything to do with the word of God and the truth. It is up to us to find that discernment, to ask for that wisdom and discernment in leading our lives in a way that we can contend with these issues that the world brings forth, these cultures, these new ways of thinking, so that we can look as though the church should look and act as the church should act and behave as the church should behave with welcome, loving, open arms, with faces set towards Jesus, at all costs, no matter what, our faces, our view, our perspective needs to be set on him. So, Father God, thank you for uh, this time. Thank you for uh, the technology that we have today that we can uh, reach those in their homes, in their offices, in their cars, wherever, so we can be together uh, virtually God, let us not rest on this virtual connection, but seek a true connection to your family, to our brothers and sisters. Let us, uh, let us, let us be the church. Let us uh, come together. Uh, God, let us, let us seek unity and truth and a, a willingness to do life together, to truly be the church that you've called us to be, to maybe take some notes here from Paul's desire to unify unify the church, maybe take some notes here and see how we as the church could do better and how we can have eyes for our community, for our neighbors, a heart to see them know you. In your name we pray, amen.